There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hej alla poddkompisar. Alltså idag är det spännande för att det finns en fantastisk kvinna som jag träffar just nu för första gången. Hon är bästsäljande författare. Catherine May heter hon och är i Sverige på författarbesök. Ni har säkert sett boken om ni inte har hunnit läsa den. På svenska heter den Övervintring eller Wintering in English. Så den här intervjun kommer bli på engelska så att då får ni ha lite överseende med att jag gör så gott jag kan och eh, jag hoppas att ni kommer uppskatta det här. Jag känner mig väldigt spänd, glad och förväntansfull. Så, so, welcome Catherine May. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. Yeah. Best-selling author. Apparently so, yeah. Apparently so. <laughs> How does that feel? Um, do you know what? It's been a very strange time to become a best-selling author um, because I've had books out before and, you know, they've done fine, but no big deal. But I hit the New York Times bestseller list when we were deep in lockdown. And so I've still not managed to get to America since. So it, it felt really disembodied and just kind of not real, really. Like it was a sort of story. And in fact, for the first week, I was convinced that all the other New York Times bestselling authors were like in a little gang laughing at me. You know? <laughs> Like, who the hell is she? <laughs> and when I when it when it stayed in for the second week, I had to ring my publisher and say, I'm so relieved because I don't feel like the kind of out girl from the group anymore. Yeah, I'm in there. <laughs> <laughs> But I only hit the UK bestseller list last week after two years on the market. So I, it's been a long journey there, strangely. That's kind of interesting as well. And I'm going to tell my... Uh, Pod, uh, pod buddies, <laughs> as pod I call buddies. them in Sweden. I don't know if you know this, but it's kind of not a really easy way as being an English author, as yeah. you are, yeah. being published and also hitting the lists yeah. in America. That's a quite big thing. So it's you big, you should yeah. be really impressed by this woman. I am. <laughs> <laughs> I'm impressed, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I... I have, of course, uh, Googled you and I've been looking at YouTube's uh, clips and when you're talking about the book and everything. But for me, I think you as a person also is really interesting. Mm. The first thing when I'm uh, searching, uh, it says like when I was 17, I had a depression. Yeah. It always kind of starts with that. Yeah. yeah so I'm like, <laughs> yeah. what happened before is one question I have. Yeah. You know, how yeah. was your upbringing? Um, I had a really pleasant upbringing in lots of ways. I was brought up by a single mother. Um, my parents divorced when I was three. So I didn't have much of a relationship with my dad. But I didn't carry that kind of upset that some people carry about their parents separating. I just never really knew them together. But I, like many women of my age are discovering now, um, I grew up as an undiagnosed autistic girl. Yeah. And so life was really difficult for me, even though I had a really loving kind of supportive family who 
took great care of me, actually. I think people assume that it must have been very traumatic, but actually the trauma came from not knowing what I was rather than who I was. That was the, the hard bit. Yeah. And what do you think caused this depression when you were 17? Do you have an answer for that or a truth for Never. you? Well, I suppose the kind of immediate cause it was that it happened after my grandma died. I, I was very close to my grandma. We lived in her house for a lot of the time because we couldn't afford our own place. Um, and even after we'd moved out, we spent a lot of time together, me and my gran. We were very close. And that triggered it. But also I was already depressed after years of feeling like a, an outcast, really. You know, to, to grow up autistic is to feel fundamentally different from the other children around you and to know that your emotions are operating in a very different way, that your responses to the world are different. And I had no opportunity to make an account of that. I couldn't name it, I, but I knew that there was something and my mother knew that there was something too. And so I think, I mean, it's, it, I've met loads of autistic women of my age since then and, and we all went through the same thing. And, and 17, interestingly, is the age that everything seems to collapse for most of us. It's, it's just this moment when you're approaching adulthood and a lot of different pressures kind of round up on you. Um, and I, didn't like myself enough to continue it was just you know it's the age when lots of people develop addictions which I know you know loads yeah about. I know <laughs> um, yeah. it's the age when you know people begin to enter abusive relationships yeah. either that or just everything collapses and that's how it was for me I kind of turned inwards definitely and how old were you when you got diagnosed with the 39 wow <laughs> I know Wow. I know. It's a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, in between that, I mean, I'd got over that initial depression and I knew that I wouldn't go back there again. Um, but I'd suffered periods of very poor health. You know, I'd had the kind of ME, chronic fatigue syndrome diagnoses. I'd had severe anxiety. I'd never been able to hold down a job for more than two and a half years. <laughs> so, you know, I'd done things like accumulate loads of debt because I couldn't ever look after myself financially. All of these different small elements of life cluster around you. And I spent a lot of my time reading self-help books, hoping that there would be this one technique that would like fix me and I'd be able to cope with life in, in the way that other people could, you know, um, and I was always academically successful, so there was always that gap for me. Like, why can't I behave in everyday life like I could at school in an exam? Like, exams are the perfect environment for me, you know? <laughs> they're quiet, they're contained, yeah. and real life is very chaotic. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it was not until I was 39 that I had that penny drop moment. I don't know if that translates very well, but yeah, that, it does. that moment when everything clicked. And and that understanding changes everything. I Just understand. Knowing. But when you got this diagnosed and mm. you're like, oh, wow, I got answers now. Yeah. Everything <laughs> falls to pieces. Did you go into like feeling uh, resentful that <laughs> you didn't get this before or was it like, you know, an yeah. acceptance? Have you, you know, of course there's a kind of grief or like just accepting and going yeah. through all these emotions. But did you get stuck in the resentment, uh, you know? Do you know what? I didn't actually. Oh, and in fact, I, I identified myself and then went and sought a diagnosis to confirm. But I mean, I knew more than the diagnosing psychiatrist because I'd done my research and mine was much more up to date than his. And so I was having to pick him up on some areas where he was like 20 years out of date. You know? <laughs> I love this. I'm like, you know, sitting smiling here because I'm getting so... Of course, it's kind of sad, but yeah, I, but you're is. like smiling with your whole face, oh, and you're well, like, yeah, I mean, <laughs> he didn't, he he wasn't, you know, good enough at his job, so I did the job for him. It's like, um, yeah, I mean, goodness me, isn't that true of so much in life? Yeah. But I mean, I, I wrote my previous book about this, and I talked about the the kind of the thing that he said after he said, yeah, I agree that you're autistic. You know, and he said, <laughs> as you know, um, and he said it's so funny because. 
every other diagnosis I give is devastating for people. Autism for adults, everyone's happy. Mm. And it is, it's that sense of relief. And you, you know, afterwards you do go through, um, you go through a kind of grief and you, the reason it's like grief is not necessarily that you're sad about it. It's that sense of unreality. Like when you've lost someone and you wake up every morning and you think, oh, I've just learned all over again that they're not here. You know, like that, that kind of reality that you have to keep accepting. It's not steady. It's not stable. That's the way that it's like a grief because every morning you come to terms with this permanence, like I'd thought I could fix myself and I now knew that I couldn't or not in the way that I thought. And so then you have to learn to adapt and the adaptation becomes the thing that you sink or swim at ultimately. And I've, I think I've adapted really well. I think that's why I'm grinning at you now yeah. as I talk about it yeah. because actually I've changed the way I live my life to finally accommodate what I needed yeah and I never knew what I needed before isn't that crazy that's so interesting because in my job I meet a lot of really smart people because I meet this leader in and they want to develop so they are like high achievers and they have ambitions and I would say most of the time they are more clever than I am like they're really yeah but there are I'm, I'm kind of more wise and than smart Emotional you know yeah yeah that's well. that's yeah, my core yeah. so so but the interesting is the thing is when I ask them like what do you need what is oh, your yeah. and they're like what what do you mean I'm like <laughs> what's your need like in your role as a leader or in your life or in your marriage or whatever people don't stop and like reflect on those mm-hmm. things it's not, you know, rocket science. It's real common sense, but we don't take time <sighs> yeah. for us. And they don't teach us this in early age. We don't no. get the tools. Yeah, a toolkit. And, and I, think, um, I think it's more true for autistic kids than it is for neurotypical kids. But I think for everybody, you learn to suppress your intuition, actually. And you learn that your intuition is a dangerous thing because your intuition says this is too much, I'm exhausted, I'm stressed, I'm overwhelmed, I don't like being in a room with this person, this person's giving me the creeps, you know, all of those intuitions that becoming an adult is learning to squash those down so that you can do the stuff you're supposed to do. And I went through a process, and I think it would help everyone to go through this, of like opening up those intuitions again and saying, oh, hang on, I don't want people to hug me when I meet them in the street. That makes me intensely uncomfortable. Oh, I'm going to have to start telling people that. And I'm going to have to start reversing relationships of 20 years and saying, when we next meet, would you mind? We don't. And that's, that's a, that's a whole process. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's like kind of 10 episodes just about the relationship and what people, yeah. Kompisar, ni vet att mitt nörderi är självledarskap. Alltså, oavsett vad vi gör, om vi leder andra människor eller vad vi håller på med, så har vi oss själva som vår största tillgång eller ibland vårt största hinder. Ibland är det lätt att tänka att jag hamnar i konflikt beroende på hur mycket puckon jag träffar. Men sanningen är att ibland är det vi själva som är puckot. Så att, att få förståelse för sig själv, sina reaktioner och sina handlingar är välinvesterad tid. Så att de av er som precis som jag är nördigt intresserade av självledarskap så har jag ju utvecklat en digital kurs där jag har samlat mina bästa metoder och tekniker. Och vill du gå den här kursen så hittar du den på mtutbildning.se och använder du koden sårbar och superstark så får du 200 kronor rabatt. Hoppas att du vill gå den kursen med mig. I went uh, to a seminar a couple of years ago about autism mm. on the spectra mm-hmm. and I was learning and that I would never forget this and there was this uh, woman and she was explaining like when a person and now you have to correct me if this is my <laughs> you know I'm memory yeah. yeah and she said like imagine when you come into a room uh, that everything is like 
equally important mm -hmm. you see everything <laughs> you know the electricity yeah. dots you see how many lights yeah. you see how many and if there's something wrong with the window mm -hmm. and for me it's like I can divide things from what's yeah. important what's not important that's a person I'm going to look at the person first and that's not necessary for me mm -hmm. to know how many electricity how what's it called this when you put in this plugs plugs, plugs. yes yeah mm. and that was like I'm like oh of course yeah. it's like Like overwhelming yeah. and also I heard this uh, there was a tape where a man was uh, saying that he like when he looked at the lamp he could see that it's blinking uh -huh. we don't see it because it goes so fast that one's blinking yeah heads, okay yeah. do yeah. you want me to close this one no I'm fine I mean I you yeah, get but, so used to it if this were my room I wouldn't have any lights on because actually all electric things either blink or make a noise Like my, my microwave at home makes a noise that no one else can hear. Exactly. I can hear it really strongly. When someone has an overhead projector, you know, projecting on a screen, I can see the beam of light splitting into the primary colors all the time. Wow. <laughs> it's like, it's the level of your sensory sen uh, sensitivity is so high. And it's a bit like if I turned up one of the dials on your recording device there and everything would distort as it went through the microphone then because there would be this blast of input going in and it would go. That's how most of life sounds to me. It's mind blowing. Yeah, it's, it is. It's, it's really mind blowing. And also he said on this record that. And it was so interesting because it was a clever person that interviewed him because mm. he was telling that he see all this and sometimes yeah. he's so tired, of course, when you have so much. So tiring. Yeah, yeah, of course, tiring. And then he had uh, like something with his stomach. He got this. Three, we will have yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, <laughs> yeah. so he went to the and it was like cramping and he had mm. some kind of disease and he went to this doctor and The doctor asked him, like, on a scale from one to ten, how painful is this in your stomach? If you compare it till how stressful it is to see all this light. <laughs> and then he said, like, this pain in the stomach, and that was a real, uh, you know, problem. Mm. That was kind of a five, six, but the lighting thing was kind of a nine out yeah. of ten. And yeah. that was, like, for me, wow. Yeah, and in fact... That has really interesting knock-on effects for autistic people because it means that when we present to doctors, we, we are so used to suppressing our pain and discomfort that we find it really hard to transmit when we're in distress. And there's been some studies that show that autistic people get much lower levels of medication than uh, particularly pain medication than neurotypical people even though we're probably feeling the pain more intensely because we're so attuned. Of course you are, But I we, think. we don't transmit it because we're so, I'm so used to dampening down everything and not flinching at every noise and, and deliberately kind of evening out my affect, yeah. you know. Um, when I go to the doctor and say, I think I'm really sick, they're like, you seem fine. Mm. Yeah. Because you're so used to like survive and yeah. then you have to be more strong yeah. than the most of us can't do that can't do the kind of level of emoting that would that would convince a doctor you know and it, and that's been really hard with mental health because actually I had loads of mental health crises uh, you know all through my 20s and 30s and it's invisible to doctors because I as far as they're concerned I look really on a level um, and it, it was particularly hard when I had postnatal depression the uh, the midwife got out the questionnaire that she was supposed to tick off all the, the little boxes and, and she, she hovered it over the table and said, I don't think we even need to do this. You seem fine and put it back in her bag. And I had this moment of like, oh my God, <laughs> uh, you know, the, the road was closed before I could even begin to talk about it because my affect was, was not what she was expecting. <laughs> it's really depressing. Yeah, it is depressing. And now I have like a question or more not just a question because I think I know the answer and maybe I'm like <laughs> wrong, but I got the feeling that you don't have self-pity a lot. Do no. You? No, you don't, no. you like, yeah, I can feel it. I you find don't. it really uninteresting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I mean, what's the point? <laughs> yeah, but I think that's yeah. kind of the problem when you're talking to like the doctors yeah. because they yeah. they believe you when you're like feeling sorry yeah. for yourself because they don't listen to what you say. They are like, so true. yeah, I'm so, kind of fine. Yeah, <laughs> you are like this is this. It, but it, you know what? When I that that lack of self pity emerges from that first bout of depression when I was 17. I had that true rock bottom moment when I, you know, because being autistic, when I'm very distressed, I lose my ability to talk, you know, that that all disappears. I'd not said anything to anyone for ages. I was wheeled to a psychiatrist where I just sat in silence and she took notes and kind of huffed because she was annoyed with me <laughs> and then never called me back again. And I, you know, it was a summer and I was sitting in the garden and I couldn't talk and I couldn't move and I couldn't do anything. And I felt like I was like I imagined myself as in a, at the bottom of a hole, you know, and I was yeah. sitting there. And I had this thought that like, okay, well, this is live or die now. Like I hadn't eaten for a long time. I'd stopped just functioning as a person. And I had this moment of clarity that said, I must have a survival instinct because I'm still here. And I haven't felt much self-pity no. since. <laughs> because I'm that like, I just, I got this sense that, you know, you don't have it. No, no. no. And I, I mean, I, yeah, I can remember what it was like to have it. Um, and it's, it's not worth having, is it? No. <laughs> it's not worth it. It no, really it's isn't. it's not worth it. It isn't. That doesn't mean yeah. to say I don't get sad, no, but, but I don't feel victimized by it. Exactly. Mm. I think that's important to see. Mm. Sadness is more like pure and just yeah. stands in like something was important to me and yeah. you know maybe it's gone or it's not gonna happen or a mm. lost or whatever it is but that's more pure than self-pity it's like you're yeah. putting yourself down and you're like just thinking and thinking and thinking yeah well that's self-pity is a narrative you know it's a story that you tell yourself and if you repeat the story long enough, you will <laughs> you will learn it like a script. You know? <laughs> oh, it's, oh yeah, I couldn't have said it better. Not even in Swedish, I promise you. <laughs> and this is kind of my core. This uh, is your talking. thing. Yeah. yeah, this is my thing. Yeah. Oh, I really like this. Of course, we have to talk about your book because sure. I, a lot of people. I think also this is like it's published when we are in the middle mm. of a pandemic. I think a lot of people that, you know, got this like help and believe and comfort and everything that they are feeling when they are reading, mm. uh, maybe if the world was like spinning as it usually did, wouldn't have taken the time to actually read the book. Yeah, yeah. You know, we had really interesting conversations with my publisher about this at the beginning because uh, I think the book was out in the UK for like three or four weeks before we got locked down for the first time. So th there was this brief period of time when we were talking about the book as something else and then it became a pandemic book. And looking back, I I still believe that actually... It, uh, that it would have found readers because actually we are always wintering in some different way. But those people were invisible to the media quite often before the pandemic. And since we've had the pandemic, everyone's there at once. It's become unavoidable to notice those, you know, those fallow periods when people are kind of cast out of life. And it's allowed us to have that conversation. And so it would have been much harder to convince, you know, magazines to talk about it. And now it's easy. Now they're like, oh, yeah, we need this too. And and it, you can see the light going on in people's eyes. But there were always people there that were waiting for that discussion of, of who they were and where they are. Yeah. I'm so glad that we're having it now. Uh, I have, you know, in my educations and coaching, I'm talking a lot about the importance of reflection. Mm. I teach it do it on a daily basis mm. uh, just reflect on a couple of questions and yeah. I prefer uh, I recommend that we write down the answers mm -hmm. by hand because we spending so much it's time organic. Yeah. yeah it's organic and also it's yeah. different from the things that we are doing when we're sitting in front of the computer mm. and before the pandemic I had to like 
explain why this is working <laughs> and you know this is the core of every self-leadership yeah. and kind of people were like I hear you but do I have you to do it I don't have time and everything and then when the pandemic hit I got like you know emails like you were talking about a reflection how do I do it because they're like forced to they yeah. didn't ask for it, but there yeah. they were at home and everything just got over them. And, and they, they needed that vent. Yeah. I, before I had my son, I used to work with teachers to, um, to kind of, yeah, to help them to reflect on their practice and to develop more creative learning techniques. And the thing I learned, I'd be really interested to hear what you think about this and whether this is your experience, was that the idea of reflection and evaluation was a really dangerous idea to them quite often because it had so often been used punitively within their work. You know, like if you are being evaluated, it's something that's happening to you and it's often something that's quite scary and which is going to come with a level of criticism, whatever that is. And it, you know, will determine whether you live or die in the, in the <laughs> company. And so when I was working with these teachers to say, let's do some, let's do some evaluation. Let's do some reflection on, on how this is going. You'd see their body language immediately kind of clam up because of that terror of reflection. And what have we done to reflection to make it so bad? It's such a sad state of affairs that we haven't learned that reflection is this necessary fundamental flow through life that corrects our course every day rather than being this big menacing Exactly. And it's also if we want to develop, mm. we have to like, we cannot believe everything that we are thinking because yeah. sometimes we don't want to see the truth as it is. Yes, and yeah. sometimes we just listen to this, you know, strong inner criticism person that's kind of living there mm. and everything is like mixed up but the interesting thing is uh, <laughs> I, I, I really I was just sitting nodding when you yeah. were saying this because it's like you know you have a distance you have a fear and you know mm. and my first question I teach four questions that you're gonna write down the answer to every night and the first one is what wasn't so good today and mm. what did you learn from it and I tell Such them, but a you are. Question. It is because you are thinking about it. But if you're just like saying in your head, "Oh, I should have been more prepared. Why mm, was I doing mm. that? I'm so stupid." That doesn't lead to development. So yeah, no. just take it out of your head and analyze it mm. and see, like, okay, I didn't prepare well enough. Yeah. Learnings from this, ba ba ba. You don't have to be a judge about it. Mm. You don't have to like. What do you say? You know, it's not moral. That's yeah, the thing, yeah, it's that's not, not a moral it's, failing. It just is. <laughs> yes, you don't have to think yeah. anything about it. And it's also, neutral. It's an observation. It's exactly. like exactly this is what went wrong. Like that's something we can just step back and say, okay, that's an object. Like, let's let's take a look at that. Yeah, <laughs> and that's really important. <laughs> and also just to look at it. Okay, and also I say to them, when you like answering the question, if you're like, what wasn't so good today? If nothing comes up celebrate Double you know up. everything's yeah. gonna be you know yeah. shit tomorrow yeah, so well, just be glad yeah, for don't today worry, don't you worry it'll come back again yeah <laughs> it will and and the, the next question is what was good today mm. or maybe what are you proud of and people have problems with that oh, one as they well can't say a single no. positive thing about themselves yeah and that's so bad because mm. if you cannot validate yourself you're gonna seek it from others and often in the wrong way oh my goodness I I mean again we need a whole series on this <laughs> <laughs> that kind of black hole that lives in everybody's gut that kind of opens up at different things and whenever there is challenging behavior from people whether it's self-destructive behavior or whether it's very needy behavior or whatever that is it's all a conversation or a lack of conversation with that great big void that we all carry that that we're terrified of this mother's day celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from blue nile whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. 
Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Jag är så taggad. Äntligen får jag liksom åka ut i landet och träffa er på riktigt. Jag är ute och föreläser i vår och jag besöker Göteborg första mars. Gävle 8 mars, Umeå 4 april, Stockholm 5 april och avslutas med Sundsvall den 28 april. Så man kan säga att jag har en föreläsningsturné. Som började den 1 mars och slutar den 28 april. Och jag har fått fler frågor så här. Kommer du inte till Malmö och kommer du inte dit? Självklart kommer jag besöka fler städer till hösten. Men i vår är det de här städerna vi kan träffas i. Och biljetter hittar ni på ticketmaster.se. Föreläsningen heter Sårbar och Superstark. This wintering book. Yes. So tell us, because I just want to say first, first I ask you a question, then I'm answering it myself. It's like you are writing it as at the same time that you are experience mm. the things. And normally I would say when people email me and like, I want to write a book because I'm going through, I normally say <laughs> that's not a good idea because yeah. you're like in the middle of it. Yeah. But with you, that's really good. I think it's like this extra mm. sense in the book is just, we are there with you when it's kind of happening. It feels yes. like it. That's so interesting because my catchphrase as a writing coach, I always say, don't write from the arc. Like if you're in the middle of it, don't write it. And in fact, I'd pitched Wintering and the book was, you know, agreed to be published before all that stuff happened. And so actually I thought I was going to write Wintering. Oh, sorry, I have to say it in Swedish now. Erva Wintering. Yeah. <laughs> uh, sorry, I'm so used to saying Wintering. Um, and I'm learning the Swedish pronunciation. But I'd... I thought I was going to write it from like the high ground, looking back over these times in my life and, you know, being really wise and kind of like from this settled place. And first of all, I signed the contract just before the summer, so I couldn't start writing because it was too hot and I couldn't get my head into it. And I thought, fine, I'm going to leave it till September. And then that's when the book opens because then my husband got sick and then I got sick and then my husband, my son had to be pulled out of school and this whole crisis unfolded and it got to like December and I thought, oh, I've got to hand a book in at the beginning of February. What the hell am I going to do? <laughs> <laughs> and so first of all, I started writing it as I'd planned to. And then I really quickly realized that I needed to get in the stuff that was actually happening And that was like a shame shedding moment for me because I felt ashamed that I was wintering again, even though I was writing a book about wintering. Like it, it felt like a failure. And in retrospect, I'm really glad that I could track. I think it's about the minutiae of those feelings, actually, that maybe I would have forgotten if I wasn't writing as it went along. It's all those tiny little nasty, dark moments that are actually really fleeting when you put them into context but they feel eternal at the time um and I'm really glad that I captured those under glass almost um and I think that's one of the reasons why the book feels quite companionable because I think it highlights things that are otherwise forgotten and quite invisible and there's something really beautiful about this bravery that you are showing in kind of being 
so vulnerable mm. uh, because it's different uh, about vulnerability if something yeah. happens to us and we are like victims of you know pandemic yeah. or whatever yeah. but this vulnerability that we are kind of mm. brave enough even how scary it is what are they gonna think you yeah. know it's a, when you're like so open so it's kind of really admirable can you say that Admirable. Admirable. Yeah. yeah, I felt like this is wrong. Yeah, Admirable. I had to think about yeah. it, but that is the right word, but for some yeah. reason it's not landing. I don't know. I'm like, you know, thinking in Swedish and trying to translate. Your English is incredible. Yeah. Do not apologise. It's immaculate, honestly. Yeah, thank you. And, uh, Given that I'm still struggling with the title of my own book. Yeah, but you know? that's okay. But it's like, it's like you feel when you understand where you come from, mm. your story, and also this, like, you already had a contract. Yeah. Uh, you were supposed yeah. to write about this, mm. where you're kind of an expert in a field, mm. and then life happens, as you know, it as to it do. tends to do. Yeah. And I think it's also, you kind of always true to yourself. I, so you have to do yeah. it. Yeah, and I, like, I think... Like, we often feel like we haven't got choices in life. And at those moments, vulnerability is often one of the options you've got. And in fact, it's it's a forked path because either you choose to kind of harden off and, and not allow those feelings to affect you or you veer towards vulnerability at that point. And I always think that's the most valuable thing to do. And I think that's particularly true for creative people. You know, you feel vulnerability come across in a piece of work and often when I'm writing and I don't feel like it's landing it's because I've not pushed far enough into that vulnerability and I think that's so true of so many of the things that we do well the stuff that comes from a vulnerable place is the stuff that we feel like we yeah. feel it as a mirror for great writing for great art for great music and relationships, oh, relationships. Yeah. I mean, that's the that's the big everyday one. You've got to push through that. It's like a wall of like cling film, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Like you've got to break through that yeah. that wrapper and into the the kind the flesh of it, the the really deep beating heart of it to get that contact with reality, that that real sense of electric contact between the reader or your audience or the person you're having a relationship with and what you're actually trying to transmit rather than the polite facade of it. Yeah, that's so boring. <laughs> Sorry, that was my opinion, that's so boring because I think it's boring yeah. and I think maybe because for me it's like I got this second chance in life and mm. for me I'm gonna you know take care of this second chance so yeah. it's a lot of things that I don't feel I want to do mm. or don't want to put time on and I want to feel yeah. you know I want yeah. to uh, feel people and I want them to be real uh, they can be scared but you mm. see that they are trying their best yeah. that, that's all I need that's uh, you when want, yeah. yeah because okay back to the book <laughs> so we we did, we, you yeah and I, yeah, you and I yeah we go <laughs> <laughs> yeah so back to the book uh, you are talking about people's need to like wintering yeah to winter um and that means to withdraw sometimes to retreat to take rest and to to lay fallow for a while to be unproductive to be kind of almost useless in these terrible contemporary terms that we judge people just to exist for a while and in fact that's a that's a process of remaking, but that's often invisible to us. After I'd written the book, and it, it probably wouldn't have fit in the book very well because it's uh, too much of a summary metaphor, but I learned what happened to caterpillars in their chrysalises. Do you know what happens to a caterpillar? No. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. This is, <laughs> it's both gross and miraculous. Okay. Right? <laughs> so brace yourself. Um, so the, you know, the caterpillar makes its, its pupa and it turns itself into soup. It dissolves completely. So I always thought that it, it was like one of those transformer toys, you know, that it's like turning from caterpillar into butterfly and the wings come. No, 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 no. It becomes a liquid. It liquefies itself. And within that liquid are these cells called imaginal cells, which recluster together 
and grow the butterfly. So it's like a it's like a placenta and a you know like a um, it's in utero. It's totally starting from cellular level again, but the cells already exist, and so they float around and recluster together, and then the butterflies mate. And I, as I say, might not have been a great wintry kind of metaphor, but it's such a perfect concept for how we remake ourselves in those time we feel like soup for quite a long time we don't feel like (laughs) (laughs) a solid person we are floating around in that pupa yeah um, and we cluster back together again but we have to give ourselves space to do that of course I think that's one of the most important Mm. advice I give people when they are like because when I'm coaching leaders it doesn't matter how many people they are like in charge of or yeah. have responsible for. 70% of their leadership is actually self-leadership. Of because course. if I don't sleep well, it doesn't matter how many mm. uh, studies I've read and how many things yeah. I know. It's like here and now. So it's like, I don't know this English word. In Sweden, <laughs> we say, I say, I, I often compare self-leadership with stamina. Yes. Because yeah. you don't, you have to continue to exercise if you, yeah, if yeah, you want yeah. to be strong. And if I try to translate it, it says like persevere, something or like... Perseverance. Yeah. 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 Can you say that about self-leadership? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Just kind of keeping on, keeping on, really. Yeah. Like, you have yeah. to, it doesn't stay that way because we're yeah. like not machines. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> it's like we have to remind ourselves of this every time. Yeah. And also to this, because I meet mostly ambitious, yes. high achieved people. Who push themselves very far. Yeah. yeah. Often with low self-esteem yeah, as the which is driven force the yeah place. so yeah. I try to you know <laughs> give them the self-esteem so the drive mm. should come from lust and faith not fears desire yeah yeah so that's what I try to do and yeah. I tell them you know you have to have a lot of time just like doing nothing mm. and people don't it's think hard, yeah it's, it's not it's, measurable no it's not measurable yeah. and I think like I'm going to miss out. Yes, of course. But if you always like have mm. inputs or outputs, when are you going to do the reflection? When yeah. are you going to like land? So for me, I have so many, you know, <laughs> hours of not doing anything. Yeah. So for me, pandemic suits quite well because I oh. love when the weekends and I have nothing I in my so schedule. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It suits me. And people when, because also I'm kind of uh, sometimes a motivational speaker and I'm yeah. a quite loud and funny and everything. So people think like, that's me all the time. And I'm like, no, yeah. no, no. I can be like this when I'm working mm. because I don't meet people when I'm free. <laughs> and I, I'm quite almost not talk. So because that's why it's, I take yeah. my work with with great responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. You take it really seriously. Yeah, I take it serious. Yeah. I don't think me so serious, no, but my but work, work matters. Ma- yeah, my yeah. work matters. And also I have a responsibility because, mm. you know, a group of people ask me, can you take this group to become a team or whatever it yeah. is. So I have to be like here and now mm-hmm. and like in a really good place Yeah, because... I owe it to them. Otherwise, yeah. I should do something else. They need you to look yeah, after them. Yeah, of in that course. Moment. And I have mm. to be like in the moment. So for me, it's a lot of time when I don't do anything. Yeah. Uh, and now, after the pandemic, it's easy for me to tell them this. But before, it's like they didn't yeah. believe me. Sometimes yeah. people come to me and like, Mia, what do you do? You're not stressing so much. And I'm like, you're projecting now because they are talking about themselves. And I'm like, you know, mm. there's no problem with me. My, my husband sometimes says, <laughs> he says to me, if people only knew how lazy you are. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I am. But I think that's the, you know, a, a big key to my success. Yeah. I do Being a really good rest. job because I don't work too much. Yeah. Because yeah, I want sure to work true. really good when I work. Yeah. Yeah. And so. I, I, as a writer, I don't write that much. You know, like I, I don't write many words a day. I never write for more than three weeks at a time without taking a week off. I never write for more than three hours at a time. Like everything I do is about 
making sure I've got enough rest. And, and that's because I need to replenish. You can't keep pouring out. It, there's nothing left after a while. And it doesn't take long for there to be nothing left. And then you start behaving really badly because you're tired and you're angry and you're like a toddler who needs some sugar, yeah, frankly. Exactly. <laughs> you have a new book, I think. Just finished it. Yeah. Yes. It's called, I think now, The Electricity of Every Living Thing. Ah, that's, oh, no, that's an old one. That's my previous one. Ah. So that's the book I wrote about my autism diagnosis and how I came to it. And so that really was, again, written from the arc, which I always tell people not to do. Uh, but it was about uh, the year that I um, I decided to walk the southwest coast path in England, like right around Devon and Cornwall. Uh, and I didn't really know why I was doing it. I just knew I needed the headspace. And as I was walking, I realized I was autistic. So, yeah, that came out before wintering, two years before wintering. Ah. It has just come out in the United States, though, for the first time. So it's really lovely that that's, that's now there. And I, it's beginning to, to sell in translation, which is nice, too. I've just finished the next one after wintering, too. So that's coming out next year. So, yeah. <laughs> And what's it about? It's called Enchantment. Uh, it's about, What does that mean? Well, in the context of the book, uh, it's about finding the kind of wonder in everyday life as we're so burnt out. So it's really against the background of this deep tiredness that we're, and dislocation that we're feeling at the moment, the, the sense that we don't feel like we've been home for a long time. Um, and rediscovering, you know, a spiritual relationship with the world, but in a, in an undetermined way, in a very individual kind of small way being able to kind of re-engage with the world around us and find beauty and and wonder and magic there <laughs> i really would like to l read that book and also this one with uh, the electricity of every, every living, living thing, thing yeah. and also it's like if you and i should shake hands do you feel kind of my electricity can you say that yeah no absolutely that's that's kind of where that that image comes from that uh i feel like people carry an electric current and so when i touch people i feel it and i feel it for hours afterwards as well yeah. i'd feel it on my hands kind of burning almost and you know people have good electricity and bad electricity yeah like that was my question mine. yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah Yeah, so it's about that that sense, like that's that's very literal to me actually, and not at all esoteric. Like some people want to turn that into kind of an aura or a you know something, and I'm like, no, 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 that's practical. That is like literally, I can feel people tingling under my fingertips. Like I can feel life in things. It's yeah. I hope that book also translates and pu gets published in Sweden because <laughs> I think yeah now. yeah we're gonna stare because uh, in this room uh, <laughs> my f and your publisher friend uh, Karina is sitting here and I'm like looking we have to you know I think it's important not just for the people that can relate to it So they like don't have to be yeah. 39 when they yeah. can do their own diagnosis yeah. and then go to the doctor and say, this is me. Yeah, say like, this also, is my checklist. Yeah, this is my checklist. <laughs> But also for the people, you know, like mm. me that don't have that, but I have to, yeah. because I'm kind of a hugger. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I always ask. Yeah. I never just hug. Yeah. I but I like to hug. So I'm yeah. like, are we hugging? And they're like, no. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> uh, of course I didn't hug in the pandemic, no, but uh, we you did know, not hug. No, we listeners. didn't. But this kind of understand <laughs> how much of a cost something so big is that yeah. we are just like doing without needing to do it. So we have to understand because we have yeah. to talk about the things that well, Bigger than that, actually, I would say that autism has been so badly misunderstood over the years. Uh, I mean, the fact that, you know, when I was growing up, we didn't think autistic girls existed. Like it, it would have been seen as either vanishingly rare or some people would have said it was only for boys. But also all of the classical documentation of autism has been about a non-autistic person looking at an autistic person and saying, this is what it looks like from the outside. So autism became a condition, and I'm using scare quotes there because I don't think it is a condition. I think it's just a neurological difference of, uh, you know, children who couldn't make eye contact. And nobody stopped to think why 
we don't make eye contact. And, and the reason I don't make, make eye contact quite often is that it feels really electric to me. And I have to look away because it feels painful. And, you know, most of the behaviors that we think are autistic from the outside are stress behaviors. And they're stress behaviors that show in non-autistic people as well when they're very overwhelmed too, exactly the same stuff. And in addition to that, it mean it meant that girls were invisible in their autism. And I, I'm making broad generalizations there because it's not just girls and it's it's some boys too, because girls tended to invest all of their energy into masking mm. their autism, which is what I do really well. Like people don't notice I'm autistic because I learned very carefully to not look autistic. <laughs> Um, and so it meant we missed so much about the problems of autism, but it also means we missed the pleasure that autistic people take in everyday life and in small things and in sensory experience and in finding the depths of their fascination in something that they can really engage with. All of that's missing from the discussion. Um, and that's why books like mine, I think, are really important. Like it's got nothing to do with literary merit. It's just time we change the discussion about what autism actually is yeah. and then people understand their kids better and they accommodate their kids better and yeah adult women like me read I mean I get a few emails a day from women who have read my book and gone oh my god yeah. <laughs> it's me yeah. <laughs> yeah you know some people will then say well why would you want to wear that label I'll tell you exactly why, because you can understand yourself. And that's like the, you know, that's a basic privilege that everyone should have. And I would never have asked you that question because I got, <laughs> I get it a lot as well. Sure. You know, why yeah. is it like you have to, you know, talk about this? Oh. I got sober when uh, I yeah. was 29. I'm 20, it's 25 years ago. Uh, and also like, oh, you're going to be defined by that. Uh, that's, you know, and yeah. of course, to Only be honest. by all the wrong people. Exactly. Of course, that's the truth. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people like talking about that mm. when they are like threatened of, some, yeah, of something. Yeah. Of, often Makes it's like success. Yeah. yeah, so it, I'm yeah. a little bit too successful, then mm. we have to talk about that in a bad way. But the thing <laughs> is, I, I'm like, you know, I want to take away the shame mm. that is bad for us yeah. that are like hindering us from living our life at the fullest yeah. because of course there's a kind of good shame if I'm yeah. doing something bad I should be feeling yeah, shameful people, yeah feel yeah so so we're gonna keep that one <laughs> yeah so some people need to like learn it so but people need to feel yeah, a bit more shame yeah exactly but not on the wrong things absolutely on like you know this is it this is what I my experience and this is what mm. I learned from it and some of us have to be maybe first to say it and then the others can come after yeah. and it's not like so big for them and so hard and also if we are talking about the things that we have experienced yeah. they can get hope yeah I think yeah. it's important I think to it's be really important. I have a friend uh, she is a professor in leadership in Norway I met her a couple of years ago and I immediately fell in love we were talking <laughs> at the same seminar and she was like really clever and I like to be friends with smart people because oh, yeah. they write so boring books so don't <laughs> I, I don't have to read the books I can like call can them. Yeah, them yeah yeah that's my that's how I do it so I, I'm like you know she knows everything that I'm interested <laughs> in and also uh, the first actual talk we had first I heard her and then uh, I, I don't remember but we were sitting in an interview and this journalist, yeah, I had talked to her mm. first, mm. listened to her, but this journalist came when she had made a speech, you know, she was finished, mm. and me and her was the keynote speaker, and this journalist came, and she was uh, talking to us both, but she, yeah, she only had heard me right. on the stage. Right. She hadn't heard Linda lie, her name is, she's like, oh, brilliant, <laughs> uh, my friend. And uh, this uh, journalist, like, Linda, can you tell me about your um, speech? And she's like, no. <laughs> uh, and and the journalist like yeah but can no but you know if you were interesting you would have been there 
and you weren't there. So, and I like I fell, that. yeah, I yeah. fell in love with her. Yeah. And I'm like, this is my new friend. And from that day on, <laughs> we, you know, the flights were delayed and it was meant to be. And we're like, yeah, now we are like best. You bonded. Yeah, we bonded. And also I attend her uh, courses as oh, wow. uh, like, I take uh, this uh, self-leadership. And she's like, mm-hmm. because she's a professor and I'm more a practical person. Yeah, so yeah. it's perfect. You can show to her ha- works yeah, in real, yeah. real life. So it's yeah. perfect. Without the reference. Yeah. <laughs> and, and also I known her maybe for like five or six years. And then maybe three years ago, I was coming to Norway to this business institute and we were going to work together and also live in a hotel and have fun. It's a long intro, but here it's coming. And then she said to me, Mia, I have something I have to tell you. And it's like, I haven't shared it yet with many people. And I'm like, okay. And then she says to me, I'm autistic. <laughs> and I wasn't My kind people. of su- yeah, and I wasn't surprised because yeah, yeah. you know the, I think that this first response, yeah the I, first I was response like, oh, she's autistic yeah exactly because she's like it was yeah. no it wasn't like uh, embarrassing or yeah. anything she's like and and this journalist you know she was really pretty and the kind that are used to getting what they Her want way, yeah. so so she 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 was like continuing and continuing and Linda was like no yeah. and I was like. Laughing so much inside, That's I couldn't brilliant. do it in this moment. I loved her as soon as she told me that. Yeah, <laughs> and that was so cool. But now mm. also, I think kind of like you, she took care of the diagnosis herself yeah. and realized yeah. this is me and That's then fine. went. Yeah. and. But also for her, a professor, you know, am I going to talk about it? A lot of people were like, you should keep it to yourself. Oh What's it going to yeah. do with your career yeah. and everything? So I think it's, I'm like... I'm really proud of her. She's just own it. Of course we should, but but it it wasn't easy. It's not uncomplicated. And I think it's so important to, you know, like it's really easy for me to be out and autistic because I work in a creative environment and I've been able to write about it. But I was working in academia when I got my diagnosis and yeah, some people were weird about it. I mean, there's there's no sugarcoating that. And there was a a male member of staff (laughs) who used it to gossip to students that I was not up to my job because that's what some people do. Um, and that was about his own feelings of inadequacy. But nevertheless, it becomes like a little crowbar that they've got um, that can be really, really toxic. And I, I totally understand why people don't. But academia is full of glorious autistic women. <laughs> <laughs> So many. Yeah. <laughs> I want to repeat one thing that you said. I think it's important for my pod, bud, pod buddies because you said it just as, you know, as it is. The man that were talking mm. behind your back to the students and you said so like, but you said it so fast and we're not, you know. Oh, sorry. In, yeah, but that's cool. But that's good. I just want to repeat yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, the reason that he was trash talking you mm-hmm had to do with him. I think it's important that we say it as it is because he was like feeling threatened and he was trying to give himself power over you and Mm -hmm. maybe other things to like put you down. And so think about that when people are, you know, doing bad things uh, uh, to you, it's always about themselves. Oh my goodness. And how inadequate they feel. And ultimately how they can't own their own vulnerability, you know. And I was a more successful writer than him and I'm certainly a more successful writer than him now. And that that comes from having written a book that is, I mean, the the stuff that people love in overwintering, vintering? Overwintering. Overwintering, I will get that right one day, is stuff that only comes when you've been through what you've been through and what I've been through, which is that kind of rock bottom moment when you realize that you have to lean into your own vulnerability in order to survive. It's not a choice anymore. And some people never learn to do that. But the sooner you can learn to do that, like that will help you through the rest of your life, you know, and that's, that's what wintering's about. I think that was like the perfect, you know, stop <laughs> words. Uh, I have more questions, of course, but we have to stop now from 
my heart. Mm. I feel like I really met you and I'm so grateful for that. Thank Thank you you for being so honest and generous and also writing this book so vulnerable when you were in it. I think it was like meant to be and Mm. I think it's going to be really important for a lot of people. So thank you for being a guest in my podcast what a beautiful podcast and it is always so lovely and so rare to talk to an interviewer who talks to you and doesn't have a list of questions that (laughs) always such a thrill to make genuine human contact yeah yeah that's the most important thing right thank you thank you Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter that's why i teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create pretty litter its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80 percent less than clay litter pretty litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness it's the world's smartest kitty litter Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.